Robert Metz, Jeff Schlemmer, join me in the studio. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Jim. Good to see both of you in today. Thank you. Um, story, the big story, I think, the relative to the kinds of programming we do in this hour of the show would have to be the census data. And the data reveal, not reveals. Isn't that interesting? What's the difference? What are you getting at? Put you guys on the spot here now. Why isn't the data reveals such and such? Because data is such and such. Data is plural. Oh, okay. It's the plural, it's the plural of datum. datum. Yeah, anyway, sorry guys, I didn't mean to do that. I'm just kind of punchy today. <laughs> uh, anyway, the census data reveal the following, that there is a serious lag in the hiring of visible minorities. This is what the census tells us. Um, that particularly uh, within the federal government, but not, uh, not restricted to the federal government, there is uh, a serious uh, 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 shortage of people of visible minorities in the uh, in the federal public sector. 4.7 percent of the workforce as of last March were visible minorities. The Treasury Go Board had set a goal of 9 percent, and StatsCan says the uh, national average is actually 11.2 percent. 11.2 percent. So if it's to be truly representative, uh, we need to have 11.2% of the federal public servants, civil servants, uh, visible minorities. We only have 4.7. In fact, um, last year in 1997, new hires, only 3.1% of the new hires were members of visible minority groups. Uh, federally regulated industries, such as airlines, telecommunications, that's the radio business and so on, 9.2%. Uh, visible minorities, close to the national average. 10.4% um, of new employees being hired, again, close to the national average. Uh, this has been referred to, said Ruben, by Reuben Friedman, president of the National Capital Alliance on Race Relations, as a crisis in employment. And he goes further says, the federal public service is not meeting its target. Well, my question to both of my guests this morning is, should there be such a thing as a target? Uh, the, the fact, the color of your face, the, uh, you know, the, the kink of your hair, the, the, the religion to which you would hear, whatever, all of the things that make up minority uh, groups or identify minority groups, should any of those matter when it comes time to get a job? And uh, Jeffrey Schlemmer, I'm going to ask you first, uh, this fellow refers to this as a crisis in employment. Do you think it's a crisis? Well, it sounds like we're only talking about the federal civil service for starters. If uh, we're talking about, uh, if we were talking about industry generally and stuff, I'd be a lot more concerned. It's it's very anomalous. It's hard to understand how this could be the case because I thought the government were particularly focused on this issue. But you asked whether there should be a target or not, and uh, I'm reminded of uh, I can't remember the fellow's name, but I remember he was. Uh, a motivational speaker from the states who had said that uh, he who has nowhere to go goes nowhere and that you have to have a plan in life as to where you'd like to end up so to that extent there's nothing wrong with uh, having a, a goal or a target uh, as to where you'd like to be um, but I'd be very interested in finding out why that is and uh, then the question is what do you do about it well Bob uh, why is that and what do you do about it I I think the whole issue is irrelevant Jim I think the reason we even have a census that reveals such data is because it was meant to reveal such data I think a government shouldn't even be legally allowed to ask anybody about their race or their color or their creed. I mean, that's what we supposedly have gotten away from, from every other country in the world that's practiced some form of discrimination or racism, which is a government policy. So if, if, if that's what we're doing and we're hiring people uh, and it's called a crisis in employment that we're not hiring enough people of certain races, well, then that's a crisis in racism, really. 
you know, you say that there were new hires, only 3.1% 3, 3 minority. Well, how many of those, out of how many applicants? The, 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 the stats are really meaningless. What about... I mean, that 3.1% of new hires could represent 100% of all the applicants. How do we know that it doesn't? And if it doesn't, if, no, if no, not no, more no, people... No, no, uh, the 3.1% of the new hires, 100% uh, uh, of the people that were hired, only 3.1% of them were visible minorities. Right, but what if only 3.1% of the applicants were visible oh, minorities, is what I'm saying, yes. so that 100% so that of them right. got hired. Got hired, yes. So, so to me, those statistics mean nothing. It, so what are you going to do, go out in the street and drag people into the government to just because they didn't apply? Well, what's, what's <laughs> striking to me, though, is that uh, usually the government ads are the ones that say, you know, we're an equal opportunity employer and uh, the preference may be given to the following groups, blah, 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 blah. It's the government I think of as having been the people who were most into that, so it, it, it's strange to me that, that they would be way behind well, the what if What if, Bob's hit on something here, what if the, that's the people who applied? What if, for whatever reason, the visible minorities did not apply in larger numbers for government jobs? Is there still a need? You talked about you can't get anywhere unless you're going somewhere. Is there, is there a need for a, quote, target? And they use the term target. I mean, why do we care about targets at all then? Well, it just makes sense to me that, uh, well, uh, first of all, the reason we care is that historically there's been a huge inequity. Historically, uh, there, there have been real hardship for people getting jobs. We all know that there are all kinds of professions that for years you couldn't get into if you were of a certain religion or a certain color or whatever. Uh, and uh, say, I use, have used the example of Bora Alaskan in the past, who's considered by many to be the finest chief justice that Canada ever had at the Supreme Court of Canada. Well, when he graduated from law school, he wasn't allowed to work at the U of T because he was Jewish. You know, he just couldn't do it. Um, so that's why this is all an issue uh, as to whether we should arrive one day at a, at a uh, stage where it doesn't matter at all. Hopefully we will. And if it, if it appears that hiring generally is around the same as, uh, as the, the percentage of visible majorities in society, that's great. And maybe that when that happens, then they should get do away with any kind of preferential hiring. I, I think fundamentally the question is, are people not being hired because they're not as good as other people, or are they not being hired for some other reason? Everybody agrees the best people should always be hired, I think. I, I think... I think Jeff's comparing apples and oranges. I think there's a world of difference between having a policy that excludes people because of their race or color and, and having a policy that sets standards and quotas and things like that based on race and Is color. Is there a difference? What's the uh, fundamental I mean, in each case, it's, it's unfair well, discrimination. Well, the example he just gave, he talked about a professor who wasn't allowed to teach at a university because of his uh, faith, I guess, in that case. Um, that's absurd. I mean, that, that's, that's just... It's, it's, uh, it's discriminating on, on grounds that one should not discriminate on, period. Uh, one way or the other, pro or con. If somebody's working for the government or for any enterprise or for any business, they should be there on, for one reason and one reason only, merit. Color of skin doesn't matter. What about invisible minorities? What's all this visible minority stuff? This is a, this is a, a it's an almost a mental disease of people having, having to look at people's color and identify them, not on the basis of their race, ethnic beliefs, behavior, or anything, but on the color or the pigmentation of their skin. I mean, I just find it shouldn't the whole, be relevant. It, it should shouldn't be, be relevant. Well, then why do we even have such a policy? And what are we doing sitting here talking about? This oh, we're having right a boomerang now. now from the fact that before it was very relevant. So now it's a question of how do you balance that out, or should you try to at all? But I think we both hope to achieve the same thing, which is one day it will be absolutely irrelevant. I, I'm I was delighted when my kids were growing up in daycare that uh, it just seemed to be an absolute non-issue that they grew up uh, Western daycare and there was kids from every color you can imagine, and it was just an absolute non-issue. Well, and that's me, how I'm I grew up. I don't know anybody who ever grew up different. I well, only I only. I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I I
the way the package from government. used to go around when I was a kid, you know, it's not that long ago that these things were quite overt. And, I, and you know, the question is, how do we bounce back from that? Or do we, just, do we just do nothing? Well, let's face it, women weren't even considered persons in Canada until the 1920s, That's for right. heaven's sakes. I mean, so you can't put everything into the same barrel and say, well, because we've had this history of inequity, well, sure, the whole world has been a history of disgusting inequity. That has been our history until we discovered freedom. And freedom is what the one thing that created, we were all created equal. That was the whole ethos behind freedom. And uh, until we discovered freedom, equality was not a possibility in our society. This is left, right, and center. We've got lots of possibilities here. One of them is that you're free to join us at any time. And Jim has called us at 643-1290. He joins us now. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Uh, when the census came around and it asked me the question, what race are you? Now, I'll ask Jeff. Jeff, what race are you? What race? I don't know. I didn't. Well, you're either you're either two races. You're either part of the human race, or you're from a different planet. Well, because there's only one race. I guess it's a matter of semantics, but I, I I believe there are people who have historically broken down race based on uh, you know sort of what continent you come from. I I'm no expert on it. Well, see, if somebody asked me what race I was. I guess I would probably say I was white. Well, even that even that's history. wrong. You're you're a member of the human race, and and okay. I tend well, to you agree may be with an Jim. expert on it. I'm not. <laughs> you're not a member of the human race. No, I say you may be an expert. You may be an anthropologist and may know exactly what the definitions mean, but I'm not. So yeah. I can see well, that. Well, I, I see only one race, the human race, and I tend to agree with Jim on his on his philosophy that uh, he doesn't believe in racism. He believes in prejudice, and I think that's the problem we have in society. You made the comment though that you you want to get away from preferential hiring completely. Me? Oh, you, sure. You do. Of course. Oh, so if Jim is deaf and couldn't speak and talk, he could he could be a radio host. Well, again, this is you know this is a wonderful an analogy that Herman Goodman uses for discrimination. He says that discrimination that are, that are means that you disagree. With, you know, uh, if you're saying that prejudice or discrimination or any of these words has to be applied holus bolus to anything, you can't have a reason, a, a logical reason, to distinguish between one person and another. That's completely different but than what we're talking about, which is saying you don't discriminate against somebody, you don't distinguish between them unless there's a darn good reason, and the the color is not a good reason. But the government does that. I mean, you, you made the you made the point. You want to get away from all preferential hiring, and if you use that as an absolute, it's an absurd statement because there's no airline pilot today flying that's blind. Well, perhaps you should not use it as an absolute, and perhaps you we do. Could all the government does. <laughs> oh, well, if you seriously think that what I'm suggesting is we should hire blind airline pilots, then I guess we're just well, a different wavelength. Should you not then couch your statements with oh, very carefully rather than saying get away from preferential hiring, because. Those on the left, they, they like that. They like that concept of getting away from preferential hiring, and they use it in the general, but then they apply it to everything else, and it's wrong. Well, and I guess the other thing I should make clear is that I'm saying we should get away from preferential hiring, but you should understand Why? that people on the left generally like the idea of preferential Why? hiring. Because the term, well, first of all, again, we're talking semantics. If you're saying that you should just pick a, a number out of a drum when you hire a, a, a brain surgeon or anything, I don't think that you can seriously suggest that I'm well, suggesting that or anyone else is. However, if you say that right now, for instance, with the uh, judges in our region, we have 40 judges of whom was, one, is, one is a woman, mm -hmm. one, uh, well, none of them are visible minorities, the rest are white-haired old guys, right. uh, that that doesn't reflect our society. And that but people if they're who the go, most qualified, is that their fault? Well, and again, the problem is, historically, they've never hired the people who are the most qualified. They hired the people the who question, are the most politically the connected. The I asked you was, if they're the most qualified and they have pink dots on their skin, who should we hire? We should hire the best person, and historically we've not hired the best people because they were black or because they were no, Jewish. The That's I the problem you, I have. Do you yeah, agree with that? Yeah, Is that fair? You, you guys on the left, you know, you twist words. The question I asked <laughs> you was, if the best person to hire was pink 
and a white man, a black man, a Chinese, and a Jew didn't make it to the top, but the best man was the one with the pink dots, that's the one we should hire. And that's never happened in the past, and I hope it starts happening at some point in the future. Well, it's not, though. See, the government twisted around. See, that's, that's the kind of hiring I believe in, that you hire the person based upon the best qualifications, and if they're short, one-armed, whatever, you we hire We agree them. on that. And, that, and that's called freedom, as, as we agree. Bob would say. We agree. Right, thanks for the call today, Jim. Good to hear from you. And uh, Robert joins us on the Cantel line. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, Jim, I'd just like to comment that uh, this, uh, this public uh, racism that the government endorses also works in reverse. Um, have you been to the airport lately? No, I haven't. Well, <clears throat> I'm telling you, when you go through customs, it's like you're coming into a foreign country. Every one of the people that work in the customs when you're going into, uh, into your airplane, uh, they're all Sikhs, every one of them. And, every uh, one of them? Every one of them. Now, you're not exaggerating sure. a little I bit, Robert. I see a white man there, <laughs> honest. And uh, uh, I'd like to know what's going on there, because uh, that just seems really strange to me. I was, I was quite shocked, actually, like, you know, at, at that situation. Well, maybe it's a situation where uh, they have a particular affinity for that kind of work or something. I don't know. Oh, uh, come on. Well, well, I don't know. Do you know? I don't. Well, what's what I'd like to, I'd like to well, find then out say, what is going then on I, there. Why are all the people in customs seek? Well, when I make a, make a suggestion, maybe they have a particular affinity, you kind of dismiss it, but you haven't got a better answer. No, I don't. No. Well, aren't you suggesting the government is hiring them in preferential hiring? Is that what your suggestion is? I'm, uh, I don't know. Like, I just want... How is it that all... All the people uh, that are in Canada Customs work uh, have one uh, singular religious background. You know, I find that hard to believe. Well, I, I, I haven't, I haven't been there for, for yourself. I haven't been there for a while, Robert. Last time I was in Toronto Airport was last uh, June. So well, I was there in uh, in uh, three weeks ago, and I was there four weeks ago, okay, and well, it was the same situation both well, times I was there. When I was there in June, I have to tell you, I I did not notice that. I wouldn't say it wasn't there, but I didn't notice it at all. It's you know, we talked to some customs people. We had a minor problem with some with with a, with a woman, and she wasn't the Sikh. I remember that very clearly. Okay. And 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 the uh, the the woman and the man who checked. And let me just think now. A woman and a man had to check us through at one point, and the man was uh, was black, and the woman was. It seems to me she was French Canadian, if I'm not mistaken. But that's I mean that's only my experience, and well, that was I'm almost a year ago. Mind, Jim. I have no reason to to tell you anything other than what I experienced. So is is that necessarily a problem, though, Robert? Let's let's suppose that that well, they it's were not. I just wonder how it all happens. It's like there's one big, you know. It's like uh, if it, it's uh, there's got to be some nepotism there, you know. Yeah. Well, maybe other people have some insights into that. Thanks for the call, Robert. You're welcome. Good to hear from you. We have to pause for a moment or two. Robert Metz and Jeffrey Schlemmer are with us on Left, Right, and Center. We're talking about visible minorities and uh, hiring quotas and so on. The latest census says the federal government isn't making the mark. What do you think? Minority hiring in Canada, and we're back to the phones with caller Ron. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Fine, thank you. Jim, I must tell you, I, I had to respond to your last caller, who was speaking of reverse discrimination at, at the Toronto airport. Yes. Let me suggest to you that the Sikhs that you see are not government employees, they're actually security customs employees. The reason why they're taking those jobs is because, they, first of all, uh, regular Canadians are not, are not willing to take low, such, such low-paying jobs. And secondly, most of those things are, are overqualified for that job. Yes. And they're taking it because the, the regular employment team isn't, isn't hiring them. So rather than him being, being shot, he should be shot 
that these overqualified people are doing such menial jobs. Well, again, uh, you know, you're talking generalities too. In the same in the same way that he was talking, general, we don't know that they're overqualified. I mean, yes, I do actually. I I know that from from personal experience because I actually work in the field, so oh, okay. I'm, I'm actually talking from from okay. a, a position of knowledge rather than that of speculation. Okay, so this is a situation where these people have taken their re relatively low-paying jobs. W yeah. w why then, though, why the preponderance of Sikhs, for example? There are lots of other visible minorities who, who, who traditionally work in lower-paying jobs while they're trying to get established? Good question, and, and the answer is actually quite, quite simple, for the exact reason that Somalians are packing lock jockeys. It's a it's, it's friends bringing friends. I mean, when, when new immigrants come to the country, mm -hmm. uh, people who, who run these low-paying these low establishments is to bring your friends on yeah. because we want jobs. So, in fact, some of them are actually given bonuses to bring their friends. So it's a, it's a, it's a familiarity thing, and friends bring friends. It's a, it's, a simple, it's a simple answer. All righty. Thank you for the call and the insight there, Ron. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Ernie's up next. Good morning, Ernie. How you doing, Jimmy? Great, thanks. Listen, I listened to your program this morning. I think this is a program you got this morning. There's really no answers mm -hmm. because we all have our own way of feeling about this. But really, to have an answer, uh, who, who's got the right answer? Well, there isn't. The, the government, uh, the government has suggested in the past that it does have the answer, though. And the answer was that they set targets and quotas and say we, we are going to reach these targets. This is the answer. If we have, for example, if we've got 11. Point, what is it? 11. Point, uh, uh, two percent of the of uh, the people of Canada are visible minorities. Then we are going to have 11.2 percent of our federal employees will be visible minorities. So the federal government thinks they do have an answer. Well, I don't know, um, Ernie. Are, are you saying that hiring a person on merit is not an answer? Well, I, I I'm not saying that at all. No, but what I'm saying is that uh, I look at it this way. I that's feel my like answer, by the way. I think that's the perfect answer. You well, hire people on merit. Well, I think that's important. I think if a person's qualified, the best person qualified should get the job. I, I agree with that. I, I really do. But that's not always the case. But I think that what I feel that, uh, I think, first of all, you be a Canadian. I think that's important. And Canada should be for Canadians. That's important. And I think the other thing is that if a person is able to, our young people are able to die for this country, then they should be entitled to every benefit this company, the country has to offer. All right. Ernie, thanks for the call. Okay. Bye-bye. Question for you, Robert. Uh, let's postulate that we live in a society wherein there is prejudice and racism. Let's postulate that uh, within that society, in spite of our best uh, uh, moral efforts, there are still people who do discriminate, who are, find themselves in positions of authority wherein they can exercise their particular prejudices. Um, you're suggesting that if we simply say uh, minority status is not a factor at all, and we simply, right across the board, it's not a factor, um, that everything will be fine. Well, you would be right, provided that everyone agreed with that tenet, but the harsh reality is that there are still lots of people in this society who do harbor certain prejudices, who are uh, opposed to certain groups getting ahead, who have certain personal feelings about them. Your idea that, that if we simply ignore this altogether and just say that this is not a criteria, how then do you deal with those individuals within the system who don't agree with, with what you've said? Well, I, I don't demand that anyone agree with me, but if you're talking about a society in which racism and prejudice exists within the authority structure of that society, and I assume by that you mean government, do you? Well, yeah, and it, uh, I'm not saying the whole government is, but say you've got somebody who's in a position to control hiring of a thousand people, and he doesn't like blacks. 
in a, in an abs- in this kind of system you're saying where where it's merit only, uh, he doesn't have to exert much effort to make sure that that unless he's faced with a really graphic and you know situation where someone is so obviously qualified that they cannot be ignored. But in most cases, it's not that hard to say well. It's 50-50 here. I can either take the black guy or the white guy, but the white guy, he went to school a week longer or, you know, whatever the case may be. His tools are shinier, uh, so I'm going to hire him. Awfully tough to, 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 to battle that. And nor should we. If it's, his, if it's a businessman's property, oh, it's, it's not his business man. We're talking government. Okay, government should not discriminate on that basis. But how do, you, how do you get to that if you don't have some kind of guidelines and some kind of targets and, and some kind of programs? How do you stop that person from exerting his personal prejudice over the place where he works? You fire him. Otherwise, you can't. Because to, to do anything else, you can pass all kinds of laws and say that you can't discriminate because of a person's color. Well, then, fine. He, he'll say, I discriminated because of merit. So how do you fire him? On what basis? Well, that's my point. Uh, there is no solution to that particular problem. To get back to, uh, to Ernie, who said there's no answers, there's certainly no answer if the question is, how do we get a certain percentage of ethnic and, and minority groups into a certain All right, but let me field? Fo- there let is me, no answer okay, to that question up other than forcing it. Okay, here's part B. having a totalitarian state. Here's part B. Part B is one of the reasons, one of the roots of prejudice, and I'm sure that the three of us would agree here, is unfamiliarity. We, know, we should know, at least I know from personal experience, and you guys maybe have experienced it too, and many of our listeners will have experienced it, that your attitude towards a group of people will be, can be, quite seriously modified by interaction with an individual or a group of individuals from that group. You may, for example, be uh, un- uncomfortable originally in the presence of Group A until somebody from Group A moves next door and your kids start to play together and you start chatting over the fence and you discover that you've got a lot more in common than drives you apart. If you allow the perpetuation of a system whereby you keep people apart, where you, with the guy, that guy in the government does have the ability to keep the blacks out of his department, can you not make a case that by, by compelling him to set his prejudices aside, you may be creating the next generation or the next generation along because you are allowing these groups to come together that you may be able to eliminate or diminish that prejudice? You're never going to do it if you, say, if you simply say, you can't discriminate, thanks for coming out, but there's no follow-up. Nobody's... Jim, I look at other countries. One of the countries I've studied very intensely is South Africa, where they've had apartheid for years. And apartheid is totally a political problem there. The business community in South Africa was willing to hire black people for the past 50 years and were not legally allowed to do so. Because they knew, number one, again, black labor was cheap there because it was plentiful. And so there were a lot of starting jobs for people to get in, and it was a way for, for, for whites and blacks to integrate. But the government prevented it. And yet the image we have of South Africa is this racist nation that, where everybody hates everybody. Well, sure, that's going to happen when you have government programs that delineate wh- who, who goes where, who's allowed to do what, who's allowed to go to what bar, what job, whatever. But surely the, uh, the, 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 the tenets of, of, of apartheid are an awful long way from a government saying, my, at, my point at some point, saying that, you know, discri- we just don't, this is not appropriate. Discrimination is not appropriate. Well, that's what's happening today in South Africa, too. In fact, South Africa has gone, uh, taken an incredible step recently in terms of trying to uh, bury its past, so to speak, its racist past. And they've, they've gone through some incredible uh, things that I've never seen in another country. It's been on the news lately. And uh, they're trying to bring, uh, uh, you know, together old people, uh, old old rivalries mm-hmm. and, and trying to 
bury their past behind them and start on a new footing without constantly bringing the past up. And it's a tough thing to do to let go of that past. Well, I hope they're successful. And, I don't have uh, a great deal of I don't have a great deal of faith, quite frankly, in the future of South Africa. Well. To me, the, the, the more economic and, and individual freedom you have, the more integration of the races you'll see. Uh, the more state control and rules and regulations and quotas you'll have, I think the less you're going to see. Okay. And to me, it's perfectly natural for people to feel comfortable with people of their own culture, whether that's color-based or not. Whether that, you know, Italians might like to hire Italians more than they want to hire mm -hmm. Germans and vice versa. And that does go on. I don't see a problem with it. All right, let's go back to the phones where Jim's waiting. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Yes, sir. I still agree with the first caller. There's 90% of the Toronto Airport are Sikhs. Yes? Yes. Okay. And uh, I was wondering uh, how come they're all there. Well, didn't you just hear our, our last caller explain that? Uh, no, no, but it says that's, uh, that's not a minimum job. It's a government job. Well, his, his explanation was that they were, what did he, what did he say? They were... Uh, they were uh, security uh, customs. Sec security customs people that they were working at a minimum wage or a low-paying job, and that, in fact, as he said, they probably did bring their friends when there was a job uh, No, that's more or less like, you got it right, their, their friends come in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah, but that's they more or less right. But they still have to qualify for the job, don't they? No, yes, they do, but it's the same point, come back, how come you have to change roads at the Mountie Police come at Turbans? Yeah. See, I'm, I choose, I'm, I'm foreign too. I choose this country to become here. Yes. And But I choose this country, right? Mm -hmm. So I like to this country, and I have to obey by the rules. Mm -hmm. Now, the same as the mountain police, and everybody knows the mountain police, now they can choose the turbans. Mm -hmm. And I don't agree with that. Okay. I mean, if they choose their country, they have to go by our rules here. All right. Thank you for the call, Jim. Thank you. Good to hear from you. Bye -bye. We're going to pause for a moment. 643 1290, star 1290 on the cancel. We're talking about this revelation, if we can uh, use that term in the census that federal employees are, uh, or visible minorities are, are significantly underrepresented in federal, uh, impl uh, impl uh, never mind. Jobs. Thank you, sir. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> My guests in the studio today, as they are every Wednesday from 11 to 12, Jeff Schlemmer and Robert Metz, representing respectively the left and the right, more or less, of uh, the political spectrum on the issues of the day. And uh, we talk about those issues. Today we're talking about visible minorities and uh, their role in the federal government in terms of how many jobs do they have vis-a-vis -vis how many of them are there. And Al's our next caller. Good morning, Al. Yes, good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, that has been nothing new on the uh, having seats at the airports and so forth. Mm -hmm. About three years ago, I was to B.C. and back, and I got it down in B.C., and I got it here in Toronto. So is there any kind of problem with that? I mean, do you well, care? To me, it made me feel a little strange because I was in Canada, which is, I was born and lived here, mm -hmm. and then I'm getting machines run up and down me from Sikhs, which at the time it made me feel a little bit, what the hell gives here? Well, they're Canadians too. I would assume most of them are Canadian citizens. Well, maybe not yet. Some could, some couldn't be. Mm -hmm. Another thing too, they have another machine there, um, the one that they run up and down your clothes at yeah. the time. Yeah. Oh, I just walked by that. They didn't even try that. Mm. They put my baggage on, but that's it. And all they could do was talk in, in Indian. You didn't know what they were talking about. Maybe they thought you were particularly trustworthy, so they didn't have to give you the once-over. Oh, bullshit. Come on, now. <laughs> you don't think so? No. All right. Thanks for the call, Al. Okay, Take we're care. going to get it in all the airports. And uh, Gary's up. Hi, Gary. Hey, good morning, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, a question for you and the guys. Uh, this whole aspect of visible minorities... 
Does anybody know what percentage of the Canadian population is visible minorities? Right. I sure hope they're not including women in that. 11.2. 11.2? Yeah. Oh, okay. And that consists of what groups? There's well, blacks and... Anybody who's, visible, anybody who's visibly different from the, from the, quote, white, majority white population. Jim uh, properly upbraided me at the start of the show uh, before we started pointing out women are 53% of the population, the majority. Yeah, women are not a minority by any standard. Well, yes, I, I was aware of that, but uh, yeah, I saw a blip on the news last night where blacks are something like 2% and Asians, I thought, were uh, somewhere around 2%. I, I don't have the breakdowns. What I just have the 11.2, and that's that's across the board. So. Oh, well, what I understood was that there's only about 6%. That's where my quarrel was coming in. So, yes, your stats are likely better than my blip on the news. Well, now let me just double-check here now. Let me double-check. Uh, federal public sector, 4.7% of the workforce last March visible minorities, level falling far short of the Treasury Board's goal of 9 even farther behind the 11.2% level that StatsCan figures indicate is the national average. Now, wait a minute. That does not necessarily mean it's the national average of Canadians. It might be the na average in the workforce, might it not? Guys, what would you, how would you interpret That's that? That's what I would think. That's what it sounds like. Hmm. Okay, well, let me see now. Do we have other figures here um, that tell us more about that? <laughs> no, we don't, but we'll find them for you. Okay. We'll find them for you. Thanks, Gary. Good enough. Stay with us. Bye-bye. Guys, in terms of the, uh, um, and Gary mentioned about women, and Jeff jokingly mentioned about women before we started, though. Is that part and parcel, Jeff, to your mind, of the same, the same challenge? Uh, is is uh, equity between the sexes in the workplace? Oh yeah, uh, there are still still big problems there, and uh, in, in particular industries, I guess it, it depends where you look. But uh, I was struck. I was at a, um, a dinner on Saturday night, and Maureen Kempston Dark was one of the speakers, who's the president of General Motors. And uh, I can't remember the name of the woman who's the president of Ford, but uh, we have presidents of both of those companies right now are women, which is ex extremely unusual. If you look at any of those um, uh, senior management positions, if you look at senior professions, women are still strongly underrepresented. Now, one of the things we, we constantly um, debate this in the legal profession, why are there so few women partners? Because there are extremely few women partners, and they talk about the fact that they bail out for a few years to go have kids, and mm -hmm. then it's like, well, whose fault is that? And uh, those who say, you know, they can't be senior partners and say, well, if you choose to have a kid, then you're not going to be a senior partner. That's just the way it is. Um, the bleeding hearts like me say, yeah, but somebody's got to have the kids, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be successful people who are having kids, uh, and that we collectively benefit from that and should all uh, basically uh, cut them some slack for the fact that they have to be the ones having kids. But, yeah, there's still a huge problem, and uh, judges are a good example where there's still... Uh, very few women judges, for instance, and I can understand if you're if you're a representative of uh, a group that are substantially underrepresented. When you go before a judge, you know you may think, uh, I, I I wish there was somebody here who looked more like I did. Now, now Jeff, you've you've mentioned a couple times now, you know, speaking with respect to judges, that you know they're all white, old, gray-haired men, except for the odd person, and that that doesn't reflect our society. Um, that bothers me when you say that doesn't reflect our society. Is is color what you mean? Because to me, 
what a judge should be reflecting is is the ideology and the, and and proper law and principle and things like that. And well, I that's a whole other that. area, and and that's a big problem too. And well, that is that they're inevitably very wealthy. And the question is, do they know what it's like living on the street? Do they know what it's like to be getting by on thirty thousand bucks a year, for instance? How long has it been since they have? Uh, it, it is a tough one. And you're right. On the other hand, uh, so you're saying that our judges should be poor people who are barely making it on the street, so that they can empathize with people in the courts. There's a lot the of debate in the legal community about whether they should. We have to find a, whether it should be a way to make them more representative, like with politicians, for instance. So maybe they shouldn't even go. To, they people. shouldn't even go to law school because if if if. But you know, <laughs> well, again, I, I don't. I don't think I've ever suggested that. I said to you, we should hire the best people, the ones who are going to but do the best there, job. Isn't there the an argument? Decisions. Isn't there an argument to be made, though, that in some kinds of adjudication, that a, an in-depth, like a law degree, may not necessarily be required? Has oh, there sure. been some discussion of that? Oh, well, certainly not things, not not cases that that turn on points of law. Obviously, that's not the case. But some domestic disputes and things like that, where where what you need is common sense rather than a intricate knowledge of the law. Now, it would seem to me if we open that area up more, you're not likely to get more a, a wider diversity of people who could fit that uh, bill. Well, that's right. And the, and the fundamental uh, premise that I think you and I agree on is we want the best decision maker. We want the person who will come to the right answer. And the question is, does a person who's gone off and sequestered themselves in a law school and learned a lot about cases uh, and who lives a, a privileged life, they make $170,000 a year, uh, are they always going to make the best decision? Will they come to the right answer? And part of the problem is we all bring baggage for every decision we make based on what we know, you know, what our experience of reality is. And the suggestion is that there are a lot of people out there who lead, lead such different lives that judges just can't relate to them. You know, we can't get to first base. And, and I can tell you in the context of test cases we've done around poverty issues, uh, judges have no idea what it's like to be a poor person. And it's hard for them to understand some of the, the realities for, uh, for some what, of these What would be a poverty issue in a courtroom? I don't understand what, what you mean by a poverty issue in a courtroom. Well, for instance, right now there are... Uh, um, all kinds of women out there who have uh, who are unable to get legal help and unable to get legal aid and have husbands who are doing all kinds of nasty things to them as far as uh, taking kids uh, to other jurisdictions as far as not paying child support as far as doing all kinds of things the women can't get any help with that uh, in a lot of times they run into financial troubles because they can't pay bills that they should be able to pay if the deadbeat dad was paying his part of the child support they run into problems with creditors they run into situations where for instance they may be on the run they may be giving false information to different people because they're on the run. At the same Judges. time, at the same time, there are a number of men out there who are making their child support payments, whose wives are picking up and moving, leaving jurisdictions, and doing all. Just in the oh, I know. I'm just giving an example. I just want to be fair here. The gender wise. No, okay. I, I, Listen. Well, it goes both ways. Sure. But, but anyway, but, my my point is that it's sometimes hard for judges to understand what life on the run is like. Because most of them have never done it. See, to me, that doesn't seem to be a, a, quote, poverty issue. That seems to be an issue of responsibility and who should assume it or who it should be assigned to. Um, I don't see that as a, quote, poverty issue, which is, which is the whole issue of inequity and you having to deal with... Poverty here is the result rather than the, uh, than the cause. Basically, yeah. But I'm just saying, if you want somebody to make a decision about somebody who's living that life, some people would suggest you need to have somebody who has some experience with that life. If you take somebody who has no idea what it's like, it's like, for instance, the king or the queen. So, so, Does the so, queen know what life is like for you today? If you ask the queen to make decisions about your life, does she have any idea what your well, life is like? Well, nobody but I would know that, and that's why I don't think anyone but I but should have, a, have any jurisdiction over my life. And, and again, this is all, you know, this is bandied around. It's, it's not that there's an obvious answer, but some people would suggest that people who have totally different lives may not be the best people to make decisions about your life. Okay, I want to come back to where we started here, and I also want to uh, clarify 11.2 is the national percentage of people who classify themselves 
as visible. No, 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 excuse me. People who, people who are not classified as white or aboriginal, 11.2%. So that, that figure was okay. correct, just to get it out there. The next question is, what do we do about it? Well, do we do anything? And Jeff, let me ask you, the, um, as you've noted earlier in the program, the federal government has been pretty aggressive in terms of reaching out to visible minorities. They've, they've enabled, shall we say, people to perhaps get ahead. Uh, if it was a 50-50 saw-off and it was a question between the, the visible minority and the non-visible minority person, they've, they've openly and admittedly taken the visible minority. In spite of doing that, uh, they're still at uh, less than half of the national average. Um, does that tell us that the, maybe this is a misguided program? I mean, if even given all, these, all, all, these, all this assistance, these, the people are still not, the visible minorities are still not seeking these jobs, Maybe there's no need to do it in the first place. Except that we've got, uh, you said for federal regulated industries are at 9.2%, and that is that uh, it's not that much different uh, than the national average. That for regulated industries, they're hiring a percentage that's approximate to the reality of, of people. And for my end of it, when it's that different, you want to figure out what is the difference there. Uh, and I, I have no idea. Could it be training? And maybe it's training. Maybe it's inclination. Maybe these people are too smart to want to sit in well, government cubbyholes for the rest of their lives. And, you know. That could be part of it. And maybe they are in other industries or other jobs in in disproportionate numbers, um, just like the airport situation. But it yeah. could and be well, anywhere. If those people are all Sikhs, sure. and then obviously there's someplace else where there aren't as many Sikhs well, and more of somebody else. That's right. And I would be the last person on the face of this planet to suggest that because there are too many Sikhs in the in the security customs area, that we should change that and and get in the proper apportionment of white people to be there. I think that would be just as ridiculous. But fundamentally, it seems like you... We talk about a pendulum that was sort of out of whack one way, it's come back. Some people say it's gone too far the other way and have a lot of frustration about that. And the question is, how do you get it to stop at rest in the middle? But uh, no, but, 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 but you don't... The people on the left, with all due respect, don't want it to stop. You're not talking about stop. You're still pushing the sucker. Well, that's the question. Is, has it gone too far or has it gone far enough or should it stop? We say it hasn't gone far enough yet because the stats all show us that we're still way skewed what, from... What would happen? Let's say that... Uh, what let's if we didn't have statistics? Why, why, why? Let's just burn all these statistics and pretend they don't exist and keep ourselves in total ignorance of that and deal with individuals on an individual basis, assuming that every individual is the smallest minority unit in any given country. And that's why we have something called individual rights, which is the only thing that can make everyone equal. Well, so, I, I think that you and I would agree that one day, hopefully, we can do that. The problem is that in the past, if we didn't have statistics, then, you know, we basically pre presumably trying to hide the fact that you can't get a job at all if you're black, you know, in, in, in the... What would, happen, what would happen if we found that, uh, that we continue these policies and 10 years from now, the, the next census or whenever it's due, comes out and says that, boy, we're right on the money. We're exactly where we ought to be. Everybody clap, pat yourself on the back. We do another one ten years later, and we find that we're back to where we are now. What, 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 you know, at that point, should we reinstitute a program like that, or should we say, well, maybe it's just sought its natural level, and that's where it is? Well, and I, I would agree with you. If ten years from now we're at the average, then you shut her down. You say we're where we want to well, be. You can't. But if we fall off the wagon again, then we got to get doing something. Again. But how do you know you've fallen off the wagon? Well, how do you well, know? Of course, they got to have statistics. We've got to uh, pause for a moment here because the statistics tell us it's time, and we'll be right back. Morning, you can listen and listen to and talk with Jeff Schlimmer and Bob Metz. We would like to remind you too, if you're a regular listener to this part of the program, we certainly hope you are. And there's a topic that you would like to hear explored by our two guests, whether you agree or disagree with one or the other of them. Perhaps you'd just like to know uh, what, what what their thoughts are and uh, how they would develop uh, a discussion on a topic. Don't hesitate to let us know. You can drop us a line at the station, 743 Wellington Road South. Just give me a call any afternoon, and we'll, uh, we'll line that up for you. And uh, the guys are certainly interested in uh, discussing any of the topics of the day. Now, we're almost out, excuse me, almost out of time here. Um, Bob, is there any 
role for this, given that uh, I, I accept that you're not happy about the stats, but given that the stats are here and they appear to tell us something, is there any kind of, of a positive, proactive role that we should be taking to address this, or do we simply step back and let nature take its course? Well, I don't think... <laughs> Boy, that's a loaded question. Uh, taking a positive role is, is just an individualistic thing that you can do with yourself. The one thing we must avoid is, is resorting to government force to, to, to change statistics. I mean, that's, that's an absurdity. When you, when you get into a situation where the government starts mandating who can have this job based on the color of their skin, you're back to, you're back to ground zero where you don't want to be. And, if, and what bothers me is too many people see that as the solution. And then if we can't use force, well, by God, there's no answer anywhere in the world. Just, people are just but lost. If you, but if, you're, if, 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 if we accept that discrimination may be a fact, are we not better off to discriminate in what I would call a positive manner than in a totally negative manner? Well, again, to discriminate in a positive manner means hiring. If you're talking about hiring, it means hiring people on merit. That's a, a positive discrimination. Um, it means well, I was talking in terms of outcome, though. If we are going, if we're trying to improve racial harmony and so on and so on, or is that just a pie in the well, sky? We can't well, get there from here. Well, quotas certainly will not help improve racial harmony. They are ab above all, possibly one of the greatest causes of, of racial disharmony. Um, I don't know what one means by racial harmony. If that means having X percentage of one race in a particular work work area. I don't see what's harmonious about that. It's simply a statistic. Uh, we've got to watch ourselves with statistics and percentages. They can be made to say anything anybody wants them to say. They can be skewed, twisted, turned. A percentage turns in on itself several times, like, that, like, like when we started the show, when you said that 3.1% were new hires. Well, we don't know out of what percentage of applicants that mm -hmm. is. That could be 100% of the applicants, mm -hmm. so that really they're shooting at 100%. Um, you can, you can interpret these statistics any way you want. What really bothers me about it is when the government releases these statistics, they do it in such a way so as to stir up trouble in the country, so as to stir up minorities and make, make them feel that they are not being treated equal so that they have this political cause that the government can deflect everyone's attention from while the economy goes down the sewer. I mean, <laughs> it, to me, it's a whole deflective uh, issue. It's a non-issue. You have a healthy economy, low taxes, um, a responsive government, you're not going to have any racism problems. Chef Schlemmer? Well, I guess, <clears throat> from my end of it, we've got to make sure we're hiring the best people for our, for our tax dollars. And uh, there's no reason that I've, that I've ever seen to suggest that uh, if 11.2% of the people are visible minorities, 11.2% of, of the best people are also visible minorities. So that's what we should be aiming for. And that's what we see reflected in the, federal, uh, the federally regulated industry, which is effectively private industry. In the private industry, they're hiring about the same number of visible minorities as there are in society, as you would expect. There's obviously something wrong with the federal government. If they're down at 3%, they're way below that. And my assumption from that is we're not hiring the best people. And we've got to figure out why. Because I want the best people for my tax dollars. Hard to argue with uh, the summations of either of these gentlemen, because as both of you said at one time or another, I'm not so sure that you're all that far apart on where you want to get to. It's just getting there. That's the problem. And that's what makes this program interesting every Wednesday. It's called Left, Right, and Center with Robert Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, and I'm Jim Chapman. We thank uh, them for being here. We thank you for listening to the program, too. And again, if you've got a topic you'd like to have discussed, you drop us a line and let us know. 
and we'll get it on the air on left, right, and center. Coming up tomorrow on the next edition of Talk of the Town, it's Thursday. Ms. Dawn is back, and we hope that she's well enough to we get our special pad for her foot. She's going to come in the studio and join me for nose-to-nose, toe-to-toe, heel-to-heel, whatever she's calling it this week. We'll be taking a look again at an issue that she and I have some questions about, and we invite you to join us for that, too. Plus, uh, open phones, and hey, who knows what else will happen. All coming your way on the next edition of Talk of the Town. In the